covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. We do welcome you into another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. We are powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Happy for the next hour, hour and a half. We'll see how long we go tonight. And uh, we've got a lot of things to get into before all is said and done. Uh, We're hitting some topics pretty hard. A lot of times we try to really get into uh, a lot of things and touch on them for just a moment. We're really going to get into three things today and go pretty deep on all three of them. Uh, And I'll explain all that in just a moment. First off, the housekeeping items. Uh, If you do listen to the program via Apple Podcasts, would love for you to uh, leave a ranking and review. That helps us move up the charts a little bit. Also, uh, if you are not subscribed via Apple Podcast and want to subscribe, so it just comes right to your phone, that would be awesome as well. If you listen to us on another platform and are able to subscribe, or if you just go to WTMJ.com and listen there, all those things are awesome as well. Thank you so much for uh, spending some time listening to this program every week. It wouldn't exist if you didn't listen and I have a lot of fun hosting this show. So uh, as long as you keep listening, we'll keep uh, we'll keep doing it. So that's a uh, that's a good thing. Second thing, if you want to reach out to me, you can do so. You can tweet at me. That's the best way to do so uh, to reach me generally. At least the quickest response at Matt Pauley on air. M A T T P A U L E Y on air. You can email me as well. Matt at WTMJ.com. Featured guest this week, our social media conversation. We're going to welcome in BP editor Nicholas Zettel. He's going to join us in just a few minutes. And uh, then we are also going to uh, talk with Brad Ford from Brew Crew Ball. We're doing something. We didn't even do this last year. This uh, The podcast continues to evolve as we're in the, uh, the second year. Uh, last year, we did a draft review show, and then that was kind of it. Well, with the Major League Baseball Amateur Entry Draft, as important as draft days are, also the deadline to get kids signed is a pretty important day as well. And more often than not, you figure out if you're going to get your uh, first round draft pick signed before then, and also uh, what kids you draft in the 11th round and later that you're able to get signed. So in our last draft review, we uh, really took a look at the guys that uh, you knew that they were going to get signed uh, up through round number 10. Today we're going to talk about uh, Bryce Terang, their overall number one pick, who did sign, and we're also going to talk about uh, the kids that they drafted from the 11th round and beyond. So that's going to be coming up with Brad Ford in just a little while. Two things, though, to really get into uh, from uh, my perspective today that we'll talk to those guys about, but also that I want to pass along my thoughts on. The All-Star announcement, which came out, we're recording this on Sunday night. It came out uh, just a little bit ago. Uh, The Brewers have three, potentially four All-Stars, and you can find uh, a snub or two in there as well. I also want to get into the latest rumors involving Manny Machado. Let's start with the All-Stars. First off, you knew Josh Hader was going to get in. There was not much of a doubt that Josh Hader was going to be an All-Star. I think it's awesome that both Christian Yelich and Lorenzo Cain get in, not just because they're deserving of it based off what they've done this season, but what they kind of, from a bigger perspective, represent for this team this year. The Brewers made the decision to go all-in. Now, that decision was made. It's... uh, Uh, This past year on deck, the story was relayed uh, by Brewers owner Mark Atanasio that shortly after last season, they kind of held a summit, 
I believe it was at Atanasio's home in California where Craig Council was there, David Stearns was there, I assume. Matt Arnold was there. I don't know everybody who was there. But uh, the decision was made that the moves they were going to make were going to be the move. They wanted to make moves to win this year. That they weren't going to make moves to win this year that would potentially harm winning in years subsequent after. But that it, it was just, I think the terminology that they used, and I'm paraphrasing, was winning in 2018 is just as important as winning in 2020. And that was a bit of a shift. Because prior to that, the focus had been winning in future years. So the fruits of that conversation came out in a single Thursday when the team trades for Christian Yelich and signs Lorenzo Cain. And now here we are, months later, the team has the best record in the National League, and both those guys make it to the All-Star team. I, from a Disney movie storybook perspective, I love that. I love that. That is awesome. That those two guys were the physical embodiment of a decision that the team was going to try to win this year. The team has won this year, and now those guys get the honor of being all-stars pretty darn cool so josh Hader, lorenzo k and christian yelich those are all-stars all very deserving of it the jesus aguilar thing grinds my gears just a little bit jesus aguilar needs to be an all-star jesus aguilar let me repeat that and if you're listening to this podcast you agree with me because you're probably a brewers fan jesus aguilar absolutely 100 deserves to be an all-star He's in the all-star final vote. I think he's going to end up there. I don't even know if they're going to go through this final vote. I would think if anybody drops out from a position player standpoint that it would be Aguilar who would be chosen to replace them. He seems like, just looking at the numbers, he is in the all-star final vote, tied for the National League lead in home runs as we speak on Sunday night. And the ballot that is put up It's him against the Dodgers, Max Muncy, the Cardinals, Matt Carpenter, the Giants, Brandon Belt, and the Nationals, Trey Turner. With all due respect to all those guys, and they're all very good ballplayers, when you look at the baseball card numbers, batting average, home runs, RBIs, Aguilar, better than all of them. Aguilar, 306 average. Second among those players is Brandon Belt at 300. Jesus Aguilar, 22 home runs. Second among that list is Max Muncy with 20. Jesus Aguilar, 63 RBIs. Second on that list is Brandon Belt at 42. So a difference of 21 RBIs. Aguilar has the best average, has the most home runs, has the most RBIs of anybody on the National League All-Star final vote. It should not even be close. Now, You've got some big markets in there with uh, Los Angeles for Max Muncy, Washington, D.C. with Turner, plus the fact that that's where the All-Star game is going to be held. San Francisco is a good-sized city. We know about the fan base uh, of the St. Louis Cardinals. So it's it's going to be a challenge. And quite honestly, I hope it doesn't even come down to this final vote that Aguilar just gets selected beforehand and gets to go in as an injury replacement. Uh, he absolutely deserves to get there. Second thing, a lot of speculation on Manny Machado. 
Latest reports have six, seven teams putting in offers for Machado and that the Dodgers and the Brewers are the leaders in the clubhouse in terms of the offers. There was one report, and I, 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 I almost have a hard time believing this. There was one report that the Orioles didn't like the Dodgers' offer because there was too many young prospects, and they want more major league-ready or almost major league-ready players, which is insane, I think, for the Orioles. Uh, that they're, They look to be a team that's still fairly far away from competing at a pretty high level. You would think they would go with the young guys. But that being said, maybe they know what they're doing, and maybe they... They feel like they're closer than any of us think they are, and they just want some parts that could be ready to be wearing a Baltimore uniform uh, in the next year or two. Either way, I actually think that helps the Brewers because the depth at the upper levels, some of those outfielders at AAA, guys like that who are just about major league ready, if you're able to include them in a package, maybe that lowers the amount of high-level prospects that you have to give up for Manny Machado. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that Machado ends up being a Brewer. You asked me that question last week at this time, I say no chance. I've, I've evolved my position and evolved my belief in the last week or so. I think there's a pretty good chance, uh, or maybe a pretty good chance is too strong, but I think there's a, a, you know, a puncher's chance that Manny Machado ends up with the Brewers. And if that's the case... That would be that would be pretty cool, and that would shore up. That would do a couple things. It would shore up the shortstop position, and would also allow you to just have Orlando Arcia at AAA. You know, we let them develop. You know, the development process. Even when guys get to the big leagues, they're still developing. Let the developmental process continue to take place at AAA, and there be zero pressure on him to to have to uh, come back up. You're not going to re-sign Manny Machado. He's going to be too expensive. It's just, it's. I would be shocked, shocked, shocked if they were able to sign Manny Machado to a deal. But you go rent him, and if you don't have to pay too terribly much, it would, uh, it would certainly make a little bit of sense for uh, for that move to be made. All right, again on the program, we are going to be joined by uh, Nicholas Zettel from BP Milwaukee. That's coming up in just a bit. Also, Brad Ford to do our second draft review. That's coming up in a bit as well. But first, let's get to this week's headlines of the week. It doesn't matter if it's right in the middle of the summer or winter. There's always news about the Brewers. Let's look back at the week that was with Matt's headlines of the week. Headlines of the week this week, uh, once again, it was a really busy week in terms of transactions. A ton of them. Uh, the team brought up uh, Aaron Wilkerson, sent him down, brought him up, sent him down. Uh, a lot going on with uh, Aaron Wilkerson. Tyler Saladino uh, ended his rehab assignment. He came back, uh, and uh, he's been playing a lot of shortstop. Nate Orff, he had his contract selected, went back down came back up. Uh, Eric Sogard was uh, designated for assignment this week, uh, as was pitcher Mike Zagurski. We'll see if those guys end up staying in the organization. I would bet both do. 
I would think both would be playing at AAA Colorado Springs. They would have to clear through the waivers, which I don't expect any other team to pick up either player, but it looks like uh, I would think that both players would be given the opportunity to stay inside of the organization, but sometimes it doesn't happen that way. We'll just have to uh, wait and see. Jorge Lopez was uh, called up for Colorado Springs this past week. Sunday was the day where just a million things happened. Uh, Ryan Braun, Manny Pena placed on the disabled list. Uh, that's the day Manny's, uh, excuse me, that's the day Mike Zagurski was uh, designated for assignment. Um, and that was the second send down of Aaron Wilkerson to AAA. And then Lorenzo Kane got activated from the disabled list. Uh, Nate Orff got called up again. Catcher Jacob Nottingham got called up. And also top pitching prospect in the organization, Corbin Burns, he was uh, selected as well as his uh, contract was selected. We did not see him pitch on Sunday, and we're recording this Sunday night. So as I'm talking to you, we've yet to see him pitch. But pretty exciting that he is going to be inside of uh, the organization. So that's uh, that's good stuff. From an injury uh, standpoint as well, Zach Davies has another setback. So he is... Uh, He's certainly not going to be uh, back with the team anytime before the All-Star break. And uh, they expect him back pitching again this year, but right now it just seems like uh, he's having a lot of setbacks, so there's no real timetable on him at this point. Uh, David Stearns did essentially say this week that probably Jimmy Nelson, if we see him pitch this year, would not be before September. I've said before, if you've listened to me uh, at all, my stance has always been, I'm not convinced that Jimmy Nelson's going to pitch this year, and if he does pitch, I would think he would come up in September after the rosters have expanded, and maybe he gets a couple well-selected innings out of the bullpen, just get him some time out there with the idea being that puts him on track to go into a regular offseason leading into next year. I've never had much of a belief that Jimmy Nelson was going to uh, be a major contributor to this year's team. I just I didn't think it was going to happen. Uh, Wade Miley should be activated this week. He's going to be eligible to come off the 60-day disabled list with this week. They'll have to make a 40-man roster move with that, but Wade Miley will return. He'll join uh, the rotation. Brent Suter's on the disabled list as we talk on this Sunday, and they're going to even a sixth starter when they've got a doubleheader coming up this week. So there's a, there's a lot of moving parts. This is this is a time of year. This is the toughest stretch right now for the Brewers in terms of games played because they're playing 21 games in 20 days leading into the All-Star break. They last had a day off on June 25th. And since then, two home games against Kansas City – four road games at Cincinnati, three home games against Minnesota, four home games against Atlanta, and now they're going to go play three games in Miami and five games in four days against Pittsburgh before they are uh, finally able to uh, get a little bit of time off leading into the All-Star break. And then now the All-Star break, it's really tough as well. Now, admittedly, they're coming off the break, but you look at the teams that they're playing, July's just, end of June, end of July is just tough. They're going to have a home series against a good Dodgers team. They're going to have another home series against a Washington team that's been the biggest underachiever in the National League, but I think we're all just waiting for them to take off. And then they go on a really challenging West Coast road trip at the end of July into August where they play 
uh, four games at San Francisco and four games in L.A. before they come home. And then the schedule starts to ease up a bit in August where they're going to have five off days in August. They're going to have four off days in September. So they're, they're in survival mode right now. And we'll talk about Josh Hader a bit. That's part of the reason that they've been limited in when they pitch Josh Hader because they really can't be in a situation where – they use Hader one day in a day that they don't really need him and then really need him the next day. You're kicking yourself if he's not available, and that creates a, a bit of an unfortunate situation where he's not pitching a ton. We saw that happen earlier this year, and they started using him a bit more. I don't think we're going to see a scenario like this in August or September when you're going to be able to utilize off days more. So... Josh Hader, if he hasn't been used for a little bit, you can kind of force him into a situation, even if you're losing or whatever it might be, because you know you have an off day coming up. It's uh, it's a very different situation right now with the lack of off days and the way Craig Council does have to uh, manage that situation. All right, those are your headlines of the week. And uh, let's go ahead and get into this week's social media conversation. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers Extra the podcast is powered by WTMJ Mobile. It is time for our social media conversation, and we're very happy to uh, welcome in the editor from uh, BP Milwaukee. You can uh, follow their Twitter at BP Milwaukee. Go to bpmilwaukee.com. Uh, great way, especially I say this to people all the time who are baseball fans and uh, maybe hear people talk about you know these these weird letters that are put together and they mean something or the advanced metrics or maybe even as simple as you walk into Miller Park and you see OPS on the scoreboard and you don't see batting average and you kind of want to start exploring a bit some of the advanced side of, uh, of baseball uh, and the analytics and the statistics and everything. BP Milwaukee is a great place where you can really start to learn that sort of stuff. They put a real world spin on what some of these advanced numbers are telling us. So that would be my first place to point people in the direction to kind of learn more and more about the way that uh, people evaluate the game of baseball. And uh, the guy who uh, kind of cultivates uh, a lot of uh, the discussion going on there, he is uh, Nicholas Zettel. He's the editor. Nick, it's always great to talk to you. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great, Matt. Thanks for the high praise for the site. It, it really means a lot to uh, that you continue to include me on your show, and uh, it's always nice to hear that you're you're talking up um, the analytics side of baseball as well as the, you know, you kind of cover all sides. So I think uh, it's really a great place for to hear that this is where the game is at uh, after, you know, the last decade of debates. It's, it's nice to see, but I think folks are more comfortable with uh, the thinking side of the game. How about, you know, while we're on it, how much do you, the fact that the Brewers are analytics driven and look at most teams in baseball are analytics driven that's not like anything that's crazy now it's the way uh baseball has moved but the fact that you know even the brewer i I mentioned the ops on the scoreboard which we're in the second year of that the fact that the brewers are so maybe out front with the way that they are evaluating and the way they kind of encourage fans to evaluate what's happening on the field. Um, how do you feel like maybe that's affected the way the average fan has either embraced or not embraced the advanced metric side of baseball? I think um, I think it affects the game a lot for average fan. Um, I went one of 
games, uh, I don't think they'll mind me using this as an app, but one of the last games I went to, I think it was a season with, uh, with both my parents, uh, my dad was, my dad would say such and such about OPS and they would be debating about uh, certain players and they, it was amazing how intuitive the concept is. If you just, if you just put something out there, explain it and then use it, people, people were already picking it up and, uh, you know, my dad would ask me questions like, oh, you know, I noticed that the team that is playing us had five guys with 800, but the Brewers only have two or something like that. And you can immediately get into questions about construction or who you would expect to be better or you would expect to score more runs. And I kind of noticed that the more, and I noticed this with debates, debates we have at Baseball Prospectus Milwaukee, debates on Brewers, it's just, I think the more you're upfront, open about what you're trying to measure, almost instantly start asking really good questions. People, I think baseball's a really fun game to talk about. So as soon as you give people new tools uh, and explain what they are, I think where people get uncomfortable is when you don't explain it. So that's, that's what everyone has to do. You've got to explain what you're doing. You've got to explain why you're doing it. But when you start there. I think people people totally and just from my casual experience, it seems like people really like things like the OPS scoreboard. You know, it's just one more game, one more to think about the baseball game. Yeah, and it's there. I think there's sometimes where maybe somebody has this. They, they don't, you know, they they think baseball is being run too much by advanced metrics. But we keep talking about OPS because it, it it's so important and it's something that's kind of out there because of the scoreboard stuff. When when you break down these numbers, more often than not, they're very simple, important things. OPS is simply the combination of slugging percentage and on base. So basically all you're saying is you're taking how often a guy gets on base, you're taking how many bases he gets when he gets on base, and you're combining the two, and those are the, those are the two most important things. When you talk about an offensive player, you're talking about their ability to get on base, and you're talking about uh, their ability to maybe hit for power, hit for extra bases, and you combine for that and you get a better idea idea and I think you can take you know almost every single metric that that you can see if you go to a BP Milwaukee if you go to a fan graphs wherever you might go all those numbers are really based in very simple baseball driven items that make sense to everybody it just sometimes kind of combines them or looks at them in a different way to uh, give us even a better insight on the game yep I think that's exactly right you just you have this you have this broad phenomenon that's called uh, the baseball game, and then there's just there's never going to be a complete way to measure it. So it's you just got to keep keep working, and this is this is where you're at with that type of quantification. And I'm sure in another decade we'll look back, and there'll be there'll be something new that we're looking at that puts all of this in a in a different way. The news of the day is the All-Star rosters being announced, and uh, the Brewers do get three All-Stars, which is awesome. They've got the best record in the National League. They should have multiple All-Stars. We'll get to the actual All-Stars in a moment, but let's start with uh, a guy who might make the All-Star team and also a guy who doesn't make the All-Star team. First off, uh, Jesus Aguilar is part of that final vote. I'm a little bummed for him. I think a lot of times when you talk about all-star snubs, it's fans that are very committed to their team and maybe they don't 
look around what else is going on in baseball. And when you do take that step back, more often than not, when you have that quote-unquote snub, well, there's other guys who are putting up really good numbers at the position. Not that that's not going on with Jesus Aguilar, but this is one of the few times where I think his numbers are clearly all-star worthy. I hope he finds a way onto the roster. I don't know if it's going to be through that final vote or maybe through an injury replacement or something else, but I am a little bit bummed for him that he's not part of the uh, the actual all-star team here right off the bat. Yeah, I would agree with that, although um, I think I think with Jesus Aguilar, people, people have to realize that I think in some cases the all-star game works in uh, delayed cycles so that it seems like when someone bursts on the scene, it's it's it doesn't always seem to be the case that a great player gets into the All Star game their first their first time, um, and I think that's where we're at with with Jesus Aguilar. That if that he might be more likely to make the All Star game next year because of how he's performing this year, but I think this year people still think about that name. They think, oh, Jesus Aguilar. If you know the the vast majority the vast majority of people probably don't know who he is when they look at the all-star ballot and the people who do know who he is, if they're looking at their ballot in another city, they're going to say, Oh, that's the guy that Cleveland lost a couple of years ago on the waiver claim. And how, how would you know that he's, he's this top player in, in Milwaukee? You know, it's, you would love to say that everyone's making their, their all-star selections based on, you know, their, there's, statistical analysis ahead of them or like they're, they're even sorting win above replacement players or home runs or something like that. But I don't think that's a diss to Jesus Aguilar. You know, he, he deserves all the credit in the world for his opportunity and doing a great thing. The Brewers deserve credit for giving him that opportunity. It's something where I think everyone can feel good about this season. And uh, it's just, I, I think with Brewers Twitter, there's, they've got a real chance to step up and and get them uh, into the game too. So I think it'll be a fun it'll be a fun opportunity to showcase I think some of the strengths of the organization and some of the strengths of the fandom. I, I wouldn't be all that surprised if if CR keeps hitting next year. It it seems like he would be much more likely to be a lock next year and then this year is just that oddity where I think it is it is reasonable to say, you know what, I think people just don't know who he and that's that's not really a diss on anybody. It's not a diss on the fans. It's not a diss on Aguilar. It's just it's kind of a tough thing. It's like Orlando last year was one of the best defensive stops at one of the youngest ages, but he didn't make the All Star game because you know his his win above replacement was great. But people people don't look at the defensive of the game. So you're always going to have these things where if someone's on the scene in their first year where they showed true strength or their their best possible performance. You're not always going to see that correlate with all star all star ballots. I look at the final vote, and it's kind of funny. Like just from a statistical, from a baseball card number standpoint, uh, it, it should be Aguilar. His 306 average is oh, yeah. 
better than everybody. The home runs, better than everybody. RBIs, he, they, on the official final all-star vote ballot that uh, Major League Baseball has produced, they list average home runs and RBIs, and Aguilar is number one in all three of those. And on most statistics, it's by, yep. uh, by a long shot. He's got 63 RBIs. Number two is Brandon Belt at 42 RBIs. So from a statistical standpoint, there's no doubt Aguilar should be the guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, don't don't take any of my previous analysis wrong. Aguilar definitely should be an all-player. He's, uh, he's a top player in all of baseball right now. So think about Cross. If you took the idea that best player, that each team's best player was evenly distributed across the league, so 30 would mean like each, each team's best. He's, he's basically the, he would be the Brewer. Of course, the Brewers actually have multiple top 30 guys so because they're not even you know best pl- great players aren't evenly distributed it's just it goes to show Jesus Aguilar he's the number one player on most teams in MLB he's he's just having that season all right let's uh let's jump to a guy who does not make the team who his numbers have come down to earth just a little bit but he's still having a a really good season in Jeremy Jeffress at 42 appearances, 1.05 ERA. Is he an all-star snub? Sometimes it's tougher to be a relief pitcher and get into the all-star game. Would you call him a snub, or are you not too uh, upset about him not making it in? You know, I don't know what to say about that. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think pitchers are voted in by the players, right? It's, I believe it's a combination of mistaken. players and also uh, the, the opposing man, the, you know, the manager of the club. Ah, right. Okay. So in that case, um, I I don't know what to call that in that sense. You know, you get the feeling that maybe maybe they were trying to split the vote between him and Jeffers. I can't imagine a lot of these guys are thinking, yeah, vote Jeffers, Jeffers and Hayter into the All-Star game and then potentially face them. I mean, they're nasty relievers. But I think, I, I don't know if snub's the right word. I think Jeffers is just... He's just an amazing pitcher. He's having a great year, and he might be the type of he might be the type of who is losing some of the spotlight because Josh Hader's strikeout performance is one of the best one of the best storylines of the year, and that's if you correct for the fact that we're currently watching baseball in a very high strikeout. Josh Hader's putting together what could be like a top five relief season ever if you're really looking at um, his strikeout performance. So it's hard to say Jeffress is such a good pitcher. He's probably my favorite pitcher on the team most days. If you ask me, I would say Jeffress is my favorite guy. So I would love to see Jeffress get into get into that all-star game this year. But I don't know that I'd call it a snub just because the way those hype cycles go. You know, if you're Gators, Gators getting the press all the big strikeouts. I feel like Jeffress is doing a lot heavy lifting for the bullpen. He's a true fireman. He comes in in any situation he's at. He comes in with inherited runners. He does a really great job of stranding those runners. He he prevents runs. He's uh, he's just a fantastic all-around pitcher. So I'd love to see him, but I don't know if that snubs the right word. Fair enough. 
Uh, let's get to the guys who make it in. And, and the guy who was the most foregone yeah. conclusion that make to make it in is the guy you just mentioned in, in Josh Hader. And what he is doing, uh, the 83 strikeouts in 44 and two-thirds innings, 1.21 ERA, 7 of 9 in save opportunities, 2-0 and record, holding opponents to a 104 uh, batting average. I mean, the numbers are just ridiculous, and we've talked about them. It's it's cool. I mean, he's a different kind of pitcher. A, a Josh Hader doesn't really exist on a lot of teams, and he's changing the way that maybe people look at relief pitching. And I think Craig Council is still kind of going through the process of figuring out the correct way to use him. Generally, I think he does a, a great job with that. Maybe we'll touch on that in a moment. But uh, it's cool that the rest of the baseball world uh, gets gets kind of that national glimpse of what Josh Hader is. Absolutely, yeah, and I, I would love to see the reaction of who might be, uh, might following the strikeout news because he's, if I'm not, he's he's gotten some press in some like large national outlets. I believe, uh, if I'm quoting the source right, I think Wall Street Journal uh, ran an analytics article on him. I think he's been in some other large publications, and so what I would love to see though is the reaction of people who who hear the strikeout news and then get to watch him in our game and see that he doesn't he doesn't really throw a hundred miles an hour or anywhere yeah. close to that. He like he throws this ninety two, ninety three, ninety four mile an hour fastball there that's really, really deceptive with sidewinding delivery and it it's gonna be really fun to see people see people people's reaction to that uh because I think velocity gets played up so much. People tend to believe that strikeouts are the velocity. And I'm sure in some ways they are um, if you ran, like, if you, if you look, they're correlated. But haters, haters striking out batters for a totally different reason. And I just, I love that. I think it'll be really fun to, I hope he gets into the All-Star game. And uh, it would be really cool if he got to do one of those four, five out, five, four strikeout performances for, for the National it, it would, yeah, it would be awesome, and it, he's such a—he jumps off the screen with the hair and with everything. I mean, he's a great representation of the Milwaukee Brewers. It's fun to watch. Real quick, uh, there's been a lot of talk recently about his usage, and Craig Council was very clear the other day that 99% of the time, Josh Hader is not going to pitch in a game that the team is losing, even if it's a one-run uh, deficit. That he has done that before, but it has to be a very exact circumstance. I think that's related to a rested bullpen and maybe uh, days that are, are coming up. Uh, he's still seventh in the National League in innings pitched. People get uh, a little bit bent out of shape about the number of appearances. As we talk right now, he had him pitched since uh, July 3rd. But when you pitch him, it means you're not going to be able to pitch him more often than not for a few days. So you want to make sure that you have him available when you really need him. How would you evaluate Craig Council's usage of Josh Hader so far? This is, I think you should take take what I'm about to say with a grain of salt because I, I tend to be on the more critical side of that, but I want, I want to be perfectly clear that I don't, I don't necessarily believe this means that Craig Council can't manage or anything like that. It's not like this huge indictment, but I think, I think what's frustrating about the hater usage sometimes is that there's appear every now and then he'll go, he'll go a few about without uh, being used, and I think the Philadelphia series uh, jump out more than the Atlanta series recently. But it just 
it just seems so weird to think that one of your very best games wouldn't be used even in a one-run deficit game. Totally understand. There's a lot of people who give good arguments to the contrary. You know, if the Brewers' bullpen is so good, um, you don't necessarily need them. And that argument by uh, J.P. Breen of Milwaukee Tailgate, he made that point. And I think, I think that's a totally valid argument. So I think I tend to come down on the more critical side, but that's just because I think I'm more pre, I'm more predisposed to believe that a bullpen really should be used like the way Jeremy Jeffress is used to use these guys in whatever situation you need, whenever they're available. If you've got them up, you've got them throwing in the bullpen, you get them into the game, and and you just go with it, you roll with it. I think you could, and I'm not I'm not arguing that Hader needs to be used more. I think, I think the overall way they're using him is good in terms of, like, giving him rest from full inning appearances, and I think it's only going to work, like, once every three days sometimes. I think that's totally fine. It's just I think it's weird to hear an analytic, an organization that's so upfront about being analytic, say, "Oh yeah, we're gonna we're gonna hold off on using the best relief pitcher in this type of situation." I think it would be really great if they were using all of these guys in more um, flexible roles. I know that's kind of unrealistic on my part. This bullpen is more flexible, than a lot of historical bullpens. So I'm kind of kind of probably sound to a lot of listeners like someone who, who wants to have their cake and eat it too. So I, I get that I'm being kind of realistic, but I definitely come down on the more critical side. I think I would love to have seen Hader in the one-run deficit today, but I respect the arguments that um, Craig Council and others put out that you know, you're just not going to see that as much. I totally understand why it's happening that way. I'd love to have a longer conversation with you about it because I, I do see where you're coming from. I see where Craig Council's coming from. More often than not, I do kind of fall on the side of Craig Council, and I think right now is a tough time to talk about this because they're in the middle of a stretch of playing you know, 21 games in 20 days where maybe I don't think he yeah. goes this long without pitching if they've got some off days coming up, but I don't think they can, they can blow them when they may need them the next day. So we'll we'll touch on this again later on the season when we have you on again, and maybe things change as the season uh, moves along. Uh, the the other two All Stars, I'm gonna put them in together because they they represent so much of this year's team because they were acquired on the same day and kind of that that go for it moment in the off season was that Thursday where they trade for Christian Yelich and they sign Lorenzo Cain and those guys have been such a big part of this team uh, having the best record in the National League and lo and behold they both make it to the All-Star it's it, it's just perfect to me because those are the guys that that represented that moment when they said we're going for it and here we are they're making it into the All-Star game I think it's really cool I love it so much I think when they when Established that five-year window by them. The best, the best possible comparison I could make is they're they're like generations Ted Simmons and Cecil Cooper. You know, they they're they're the guys signal that the Brewers not only are like ready to win now, but that this is a five-year thing. So I know it's tough to think about, but like if 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 something's wrong and it doesn't work out this year, this is still. This is a really good team going forward for four more years after that. If something was great this year and they they go to the playoffs and they even even push deep into the playoffs, 
that's a good sign. You've got this core ready to go, and you're just kind of building experience now with this team. So it's, I think this, if everything goes right, you're looking at a five-year window here rather than one season. That's what I think is so exciting. You're, what I want to say is that we, in about, what is it, in about 2024, I want to be able to say we saw the best five-year stretch in Brewers franchise history. Not necessarily that it has to happen now or it has to happen in 2020 or any specific year. It just seems really exciting to say that this could be the franchise history that challenges 70 and 82. So I would just, I can't wait to see what happens. And I'm thrilled to see them represented in the All-Star game because I think it's great to see Milwaukee's muscle represented in the front office that went out and used their resources in terms of prospects and cash bring these guys in. So it's just, it's a fantastic thing. I'm really glad they're in the All-Star game. All right, so that leads us into kind of our, our final topic of the day. Generally, I love getting into kind of some deeper stuff with you, and you guys put out so much great content at, uh, at BP Milwaukee, and we try to kind of touch on some of the the articles you've written. Not going to be, you know, with this being the uh, the All-Star Announcement Edition and also some of these uh, other rumblings going on, we'll save some of that for, uh, also for a future conversation. But uh, Manny Machado, uh, reportedly the Brewers and Dodgers are – the two teams that are kind of leading the pack in terms of uh, what has been offered for Machado. The Orioles are such a wild card in this because they they do their baseball operations in such a different kind of way. There was a report out that the Dodgers offered a package of prospects and uh, the Orioles wanted more major league ready type guys, which makes zero sense for a team that we would assume is going to go into a rebuild. But you know, maybe not. This is a team that wasn't very good that it went out and got a, a Cobb and a Cashner in the offseason. So the wild card here is we have no clue what the Orioles are asking for or even what path they want to go down. All that being said, what kind of package would you be willing to give up knowing it's going to be just a, a few-month rental for a Manny Machado? So this is uh, – I really love this. So I – um, I was hiking today, and we get AM six twenty uh, all the way down here in Chicago. And so I was—I heard you talking about that on the post-game show, and that blew my mind about the, the Dodgers that that they um, that the Orioles are specifically saying with this type of prospect. Because that even trying to like publicly set up some sort of thing where maybe they're trying to throw teams off or like enhance their position, but on the face of it you almost wonder if they're looking at what someone like the Brewers did where they didn't do a full teardown and, and that maybe they're looking at it and saying, yeah, we don't need to, we don't need to skip down and get prospects from low A. We want, we just want to give guys a chance to play because Milwaukee, a, a team like Milwaukee now proves, yeah, you don't have to do that. You can rebuild. What did the Brewers, they, what, maybe two legitimate years to rebuild? Uh, and they were both like pretty interesting teams both times. They never really tanked. So I think, I think that's actually to the Orioles' credit in some ways because I think the Brewers showed how it could be done, and and the Brewers had a lot of head scratching moves because of that too. So, in terms of trade package, I think the tough thing about trading for someone like Manny Machado is you've got what fans expect, and fans are only going to be looking at prospects, right? They're like, okay, well, we kind of want to guard our top prospect, so we're going to look at our like third, fourth, fifth best prospects maybe someone to give up, or maybe like maybe a uh, MLB player who needs a change of 
that could be really talented. But the other thing that you have to think about is when you make a deal with Machado, from the front office perspective, you arguably make the case that they're also looking at deeper push for that playoff revenue. Deeper they go in the playoffs, the more cash they get. And I firmly believe that you can these trades that way, that the teams never say it, but I would bet you money that Marcinacio says, yeah, if we get $20 million or more from a deep play run, giving up a prospect for Manny Machado, then Keston Hero wouldn't matter. You know, they're going to going to want that revenue they're going to want something that is like that they can go out and then buy more talent with or take on more contracts or whatever you want to call it so i'm i'm kind of conflicted on this because i i can see i can see the case where you want to give up much for matado because he's a rebel. but on the other side of it i think when you look at the full if this is a if this is a team and a office that believe they can go into the league championship series, then acquiring a Machado for just about any cost would make sense. Um, and that's what that means. The talent, I don't know. I, I thought I thought Corbin Burns for Machado straight up would be a reasonable deal. Um, that's something I've pitched in the past. I I think trying to put a specific package is really tough to do. I think one way or the other, if you get them, there's going to be someone really, really talented going out um, and out of the organization, but you have to you have to believe that if they make this trade, that means the front office believes they're really going to make a playoff push. And I would love to say for everyone who has said trust in Stearns, I trust in Stearns for the last three years, this is going to be your trust in Stearns moment. If he gives up really great talent to get Machado, then don't don't throw your I trust turns to the curb, you know, think about the whole scope of the organization when you do it and say, you know what, if this is a team that can push into the World Series, uh, the talent given up doesn't necessarily matter. All right, last thing for you, and another trade guy, individual that's been talked about, and I'm not convinced the Mets are going to move him, but uh, uh, Noah Syndergaard, who, you, who in addition to being, when he's healthy, one of the best pitchers in baseball, you also have club control attached to it, uh, are that's going to take an even larger package of prospects, and that's probably going to take both Keston Hira and Corbin, Corbin Burns, and then you're probably looking at a couple more top ten kind of prospects coming off uh, off season where you oh, gave yeah. that kind of package for a Christian Yelich. Are you good with the uh, with the organization giving up maybe four top ten, top fifteen prospects for a Noah Syndergaard? Oh. This is a tough one, right, Matt? Like, yeah. Think about Syndergaard. Think about the Christian Yelich trade, right? Brewers really gave up a lot to get Christian Yelich. You really think about it. And I know I know it's easy for fans to crow a little bit because the, the prospects going to Miami kind of had a rough patch to begin with, but they certainly have the tools uh, to come together in the future. They have long they have long player development cycles. You know, they could be super in five years three of them three of them could be and Jordan Yamamoto is kind of a wild even he could be end up being like an organizational depth kind of MLB arm so you think about the Yelich trade the Brewers gave up an absolute ton of talent but it was still kind of a bargain because he had such a long contract and he's such a proven valuable player that you say well yeah that's that's what he costs and I think Noah Cinder. A really interesting guy because I go through it in my head 
every trade scenario I go through, I think that's way too much to give up for one player. But then I look at Syndergaard's value and his contract, and he strikes me as someone who is more valuable than anyone you would trade for him. So that's if you're talking, no one from the MLB roster goes out for Noah Syndergaard. If you're talking, it's just prospects. Then I, I'm really torn on that because I part of me wants to see the farm system nurtured because there's a bunch of guys I like that I think could help the team in a very short amount of time. But on the other hand, Syndergaard's an extremely valuable baseball player. He's someone where I would be hard to believe that the Brewers have enough prospects straight away to exhaust his value. So I don't think it's going to happen. But if it happens, that just be I, I just it'll be mine. The trade package that goes away will be, it, it's just going to be huge. He is uh, Nicholas Zettel. He is the editor over at uh, BP Milwaukee. Uh, give a plug for what you guys have going on over there. Just content coming out uh, constantly and uh, some really cool stuff in a way for, uh, you know, maybe Brewers fans uh, have been kind of that, uh, that just general fan and you want to dig in a little bit more and learn more about the team, it's a great place to do it. Talk about uh, what you guys have uh, going on right now over at the website. Right on. So we got a fun stuff on. Um, we, have a ranking, we have a ranking of the shutouts going on. So the Brewers have had some pretty infamous shutout statistics going around, so we analyzed the offense's shutouts. Uh, I also did a comparison of Atlanta Braves and uh, Milwaukee Brewers building cycles. So I kind of asked the question: Did the did the Atlanta Braves to uh, rebuild in order to they are? Um, and then um, we also have some analysis of the Shaw's season going on. And, uh, additionally, there is a writer position that you'll notice if you go to the page. So I'll make a plug for that as well. So there's. We have a lot going on on the site. If someone happens to be listening that kind of wanted to do some baseball perspective analysis and uh, and is thinking, you know, has never really taken the chance, this is a great chance for an uh, like uh, a, a beginning writer. So I, I think um, I to make a plug for that as well. So check out the site. We have a lot coming up on some coverage this week, so it's going to be a, a good. And I'll add to that because the uh, uh, hopefully folks are listening to this before Tuesday, July 10th at noon because if you're interested in that rider spot, uh, they'd like you to uh, get your information to them at uh, bpmilwaukee at gmail.com by uh, Tuesday, July 10th at noon. So, uh, so there you go. Uh, that's, the, uh, that's the deadline. Is, there any, is that a hard deadline or if somebody's listening on Wednesday, should they still uh, send something to you? Uh, looking at my schedule this week, I'm going to guess it's a relatively soft deadline. Okay. So yeah, that's uh, I, I I try not to be um, I try not to be a stickler about that sort of thing because you you never know what's going on with with someone. So I, I try not to be too too judgmental about that sort of thing. Perfect. Hey, uh, Nick, it's always great to talk to you. This was fun. A little bit of a different kind of conversation than we normally have. I, lo- I love getting into some of the deeper, more analytical stuff, but uh, this is what uh, everybody's talking about Brewers-related right now, so we had to go that way. Uh, always enjoy your insight. Uh, you look at baseball in a really cool way, and I appreciate that. So uh, thank you for sharing that with me and our listeners. Right, Matt, I really I love your show, and uh, I always 
I always listen to your post game every chance I can. Get. So uh, I really appreciate you having me on. So thanks again. The future of the Brewers organization has never been more important than it is right now. It's time to get an inside look at what's taking place throughout the Brewers minor league affiliates as we go down on the farm. Brewers x the podcast is powered by WTMJ Mobile. We are back with you and we're uh, bringing on to the program one of our most favorite and most frequent guests on the show. He is uh, Brad Ford. You can read him over at uh, Brew Crew Ball. The last time we had him on, it was really uh, the draft review, and now this is turning into draft review part two. The last time was immediately following the draft. This time is pretty much immediately following the signing deadline, so now we know which draftees joined the organization and which ones uh, did not, and a lot to get to. Let's welcome them on to the program. It's Brad Ford. Brad, always great to talk to you. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Always great to be on. It's one of the best ways to spend a Sunday night, to be honest. So I'm happy he, uh, that I had this opportunity today. Uh, I'm glad you feel that way. Before we get into the stuff, real quick, uh, the Brewers All-Stars, you've got Hader, Yelich, Kane, and then Aguilar's in that final vote deal. Uh, just general initial thoughts off that. Um, I think in terms of Aguilar, I think three deserving players got it. And I think the Brewers have two more deserving players who also deserve to get in. I think Aguilar is getting in uh, regardless of how the final vote goes because there's going to be dropouts. There are every year. Uh, Lorenzo Kane might not want to play if he's not feeling healthy enough. Christian Yelich might want the full break and not be healthy enough. Um, there's other players who do that often, especially players who have been in the All-Star game quite a bit uh, or who end up getting injured. So there's definitely room for him to get in in a different way. Um, I think that really it was probably smart for MLB to do this because the All-Star game is a big marketing opportunity for them. And you make a bunch of advertisers happy when you show how many fans get out for that final vote click and really see the ads, get the opportunity to vote and are able to put in that work. Um, It comes off as a big selling point for them in terms of what they can market in the future. So I think it's it's just smart marketing, really, more than anything else. And I think he makes it regardless. Um, I think the biggest thing is Jeremy Jeffress deserves to be in there, but it's very, very uncommon for middle slash non-closing relievers to get into the All-Star game. And the Brewers already had one, so to have two would be very unfamiliar territory for what the all-star game is. Uh, so I get him not making it because he has not been as dominant in, well, he has been as dominant, but in a different way than Josh Hader's been dominant. Um, so it makes sense that he didn't get in, uh, but I think he definitely still deserved to. I wonder, and I don't know where to find the answer to this. I'd have to do some research or somebody out there smarter than me would have to do some research. I wonder if there's ever been a situation where, the final vote guys are all position players, and there's one guy who has a better average, more home runs, and more RBIs than the other four guys. Jesus Aguilar leads in all three of the baseball card categories for hitters. I don't generally, you know, a guy's going to have a better average, another guy's going to have more home runs, another guy's going to have more RBIs, the whole thing. I, I don't, I, I don't. 
I don't have all the numbers in front of me, but I think it's somewhat rare that of this, since this final vote's been going, there's been one guy who has been so clearly more deserving than the others. Uh, there's one instance I can think of that was kind of like that, and when Freddie Freeman had started to be a consistent contributor, uh, but like veteran slash more well known. Uh, players were the ones getting the vote and then the manager selected his guy to play first base. I remember, I think it was Freddie Freeman was in a situation where he was one of the final vote guys by having a phenomenal season. I don't know if he was having, as Craig Council called it, an MVP worthy season uh, like Aguilar is, but I think that's the closest that I can recall um, would be a situation like that. All right, let's uh, let's jump to the reason that we've really got you on here, and that's to uh, go through the uh, the various uh, signings from uh, and people could go. It's in the archives. People can go back and check out uh, our last uh, draft review, which was done uh, just after uh, the draft, and we really touched on all the top ten guys. Uh, the plan today, just so we'll tell you what we're about to do, uh, we're going to talk about Bryce Terang, the number one overall pick, a little bit, and then some of the plus ten guys who ended up signing. Uh, most of those guys do not sign. That is very normal, but a number of them uh, did sign, so we'll touch on those guys. Uh, so, again, if you're looking for more information about uh, the guys who were selected rounds 2 through uh, two through 10, I uh, encourage you to go back into the archive and uh, find uh, our previous episode where we did a draft review, and Brad gives you all kinds of great information and insight on a bunch of those uh, individuals. All right, let's, uh, let's jump in. Bryce Terang, it was... It was not last minute, but it was knocking on the door of last minute. Uh, they signed Terang. He goes to the Brewers as opposed to going to LSU. Uh, your thoughts about uh, that happening? Um, I was definitely getting pretty, I don't want to say scared, because to me, a uh, high school pick not signing isn't the most detrimental thing that can happen to a team. But I definitely was... N- 50-50 on whether he'd sign or not towards the end there. Um, I was started doing math. Uh, my Twitter followers will recall that I was you know, calculating out basically what the Brewers' bonus would be if they ended up with three first-round picks. Because if they hadn't signed Terang, they would get the 22nd pick next year. They would get the pick that they earned from their performance this season. And then they're guaranteed a round A comp for the competitive balance picks. So more or less three first-round picks would go to the Brewers next year. So I was planning out that, but he did sign, so now the Brewers only get two first-round picks, which is still good. Um, And, um, yeah, I was really getting worried. Then finally, uh, once I saw it break from a good friend, Toby H., on the Twitter, I, you know, breathe a sigh of relief. I think it's a really good signing for the Brewers. I think they ended up getting him to come down to the money they were looking to pay him which ended up in them getting some more grabs later in the draft that we'll get into in a little bit. Uh, You look at the profile for the guy, um, LSU definitely, because Alex Bregman came from LSU, they really want to compare him to like Bregman 2.0. I don't think that's unfair. I think you're getting a guy who's fairly safe defensively, uh, has good speed, doesn't have the power that uh, Bregman has, but definitely... Um, has a solid bat, and that power could grow over time, uh, but I still don't think it's going to be. I think he might have like a 15 or 20 home runs stretch for like three or four years he does that, but I really think he's going to be a 10 home run, 10 to 15 home run type guy 
who plays sound defense, uh, can steal you about 30 bags, and can hit solid offensively. So I'm happy they ended up coming through with it. I think overall it benefits the system more than getting a draft pick next year. Although I'm sure Ray Montgomery uh, could have done some very interesting things with a bonus like that. Um, but I'm, I'm happy it worked out. And also that Brewer fans don't have to go and be upset at this 18-year-old for pursuing college education. Which was going to be a side effect if he didn't sign. And it's not unfair, but you know, it's if the kid wanted to go play college ball, he wanted to play college ball. you got to leave that alone. Isn't the risk and the gamble on that more on Terang's part than the Brewers in the sense that the Brewers don't sign them? The, the reason you just laid out, they get another first-round pick, they get more cash for next year, they may end up getting multiple players that they can sign with all that cash. You want to sign the kid, but if you don't sign them, there's a bunch of safety nets there to kind of uh, neutralize that out. Where with Terang, okay, maybe he goes to LSU and maybe he ups his draft stock and he gets a better signing bonus three years from now, or maybe something bad happens in those three years, or he doesn't up his draft stock and he's drafted around the same area, plus he gets to free agency at a younger age now than he would have if it's three years in. Like There's there's one reason to go back to LSU to try to improve and get drafted higher so you get a better bonus, but then all those other reasons are negatives. Would you agree that the, the game more exist on Terang's spot than the Brewers spot I would say I can't blame anyone for wanting to go and get the college experience I mean that's a limited experience so is playing professional baseball um, in terms of measurable risk that we can see on paper you're absolutely right how many t- uh, opportunities are you going to have unless you become a successful baseball player to make 3.4 million dollars by putting pen to paper um, on top of that he gets compensated for his scholarship he can get a full ride to school um, i've seen some players actually complete their school program if that's important to him while they're playing minor league baseball which is something that's very impressive in my opinion with their workload um, and i mean you can really make million go a long way if you're good with your money. If you hire someone to help you take care of that, invest it the right way, save it the right way. Um, In terms of personal risk, yeah, I think it's probably smarter for him to sign now than to risk in three years. Like you said, you have the risk of uh, not becoming a free agent uh, as quickly as you can now. You have the risk of I mean, we've seen plenty of players who haven't gone because they want more, and then they fall into the fourth or fifth rounds, and then you're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars. Still impressive, but not nearly as impressive as millions of dollars. Um, So, yeah, there's definitely a lot of risk. There could have been some reward. I think he wouldn't have been... He's probably one of the more likely people where it would have worked out better for him, in my opinion, or it could have worked out better for him. Um... But that possibility was still extremely low because I think it's like a 2% chance that it works out better for you if you don't sign uh, and go back to school and have three years. And I think it's like a 10% chance for him that it would have worked out better. Uh, Just some random numbers that I'm throwing out there, but that's kind of like my feeling on it, uh, that he probably had a better chance of making more money than most people, but it's still such a low chance that it's just smarter to do it now. 
and go back to school later if that's where you find yourself later in life. All right, let's jump into some of these. Uh, one of the things that uh, one of the reasons it looked a little dicey that the Brewers were going to get Terang signed was all of a sudden these guys who were drafted in the 11th round and later were signing deals for more than their slot, meaning you were basically taking money away from Terang at that point to sign these guys, and that's a very simplified way of saying it, but there's there's some truth to it. Uh, let's start with the top guy who doesn't sign, and Auburn pitcher Davis Daniel, who elects to go back to college. Any surprise, any disappointment that they don't get him signed? Uh, yeah, I was a little surprised. Um, I think they've been doing a really good job uh, since Stearns came into the organization, really since Montgomery came into the organization, of getting a lot of value at that 11th pick and that they weren't able to get a deal with Daniel, I think was just something I was not expecting. Um, he's a fairly decent pitcher um, who can throw in the mid-90s uh, and really use that velocity well to help him out he's a draft eligible sophomore so he does have two more opportunities to go back and possibly make more money um in his junior year he probably will make more money uh, he has a decent change um a mix of like a, a slurve is what they call it a slider and a curve that could flatten out and become a good pitch but uh they've been doing so good lately at getting value out of that 11 spot that I was actually just expecting Davis Daniel to sign. So it caught me a little off guard that he ended up not uh, agreeing to terms. All right, let's go into some of the guys that did sign. And Brad, I know you know a lot about these guys, but if you don't know something about somebody, that is perfectly okay because we're we're uh, we're going into some deep tracks on some of these uh, these individuals. In the twelfth round, they get Corey Howell signed. He's a shortstop. He's a JUCO kid from uh, Kirkwood Community College in Iowa, which is a pretty good uh, JUCO athletics program. I used to broadcast uh, community college basketball in the state of Iowa, and Kirkwood is a really good athletic program from uh, from top to bottom. But uh, how is this? Uh, I'm, I, I can't even like come up with specific questions to ask you. So Hal, go. <laughs> so Corey Hal, six foot two, shortstop, um, a little tall for the position actually. Generally, you like people around six foot. Uh, he's got very, very good speed. He was a forty base dealer last year for Kirkwood or last season for Kirkwood, um, and you know with a little bit more organization and uh, method to how he steals, it's only going to get better. Um, at six foot two, one eighty, he could gain more weight. Uh, right now, he's not really a power hitter, and people think there could be that potential. But really, that potential doesn't add, come in just adding muscle, but it comes in sharpening up the mechanics. Slow swing um, that sometimes is uneven needs to have some speed added to it um, to increase his power rate and also get more consistent, so he's making better contact. But right now, he's a gap to gap doubles hitter with great speed. Um, hit almost 400 while in college. Um, weak arm, so you don't know if he's going to stick it short. Probably just enough arm for short. If not, he's a left fielder. Uh, kind of reminds me of Devin Hairston in not so much profile. Devin Hairston had more of a bat profile. Devin Hairston, good contact, uh, makes contact with a lot of pitches, kind of a doubles hitter. Definitely more polished defensively, but more of a guy who's going to do damage to you with his 
just baseball adeptness for lack of a better term that's kind of a stupid term but i, I like hope it. you understand what i'm trying to say that like cory howell just knows how her can play the game pretty well and do damage that way he doesn't do it with any like particularly great tool outside of his speed most of the guys we're going to talk about are college guys because either they were out of eligibility, so they basically had to sign, or uh, they were, you know, they, they weren't going to improve their draft stock much more with one more year of college ball. So uh, they go ahead and sign. Uh, with the high school kids, it's it's a lot tougher decision for a high school kid to go. Uh, you know, we talked about Bryce Terang trying to improve his stock. Well, it's he only had 20 spots that he could improve his stock. When you're talking about high school kids here, they've got, you know, like a Reese Olsen who we're about to talk about, he was drafted 395th overall. So he goes to college. He's trying to improve his draft stock. You know, he's got 394 better spots that he could be drafted again uh, in the future. So to get some of these high school kids to sign – Either they need to be kids that might have some you know, eligibility issues going into college or you're just able to throw enough money their way that it makes sense for them. You know, there's some kids who just don't want to go to college, and, and that's cool too, but it's a, it's a really complicated and tough uh, decision to make on some of these guys. So let's Reese Olsen. He's a pitcher out of uh, North Hall High School, a high school kid that signs. What do you know about him? Uh, so he definitely was under the umbrella of they were able to throw enough money at him. Um, it sounds like he was looking to go in like the middle portion of the round. So they got him about middle bonus money at 440000 Uh That's just above what Aaron Ashby's slot money was allotted for in the fourth round. So you end up getting fourth round money at in the 13th round, 395 overall. So I think it's they were able to save enough money earlier. Draft him, meet his demands, and then get fourth-round value later in the draft. I really like Reese Olsen. He has a quick arm, throws mid-90s, and that's probably going to go up. He's only 155 pounds right now, which is really tiny, um, especially for a six-foot-one kid. So if the Brewers can get him to bulk up, uh, he's someone who has a lot of potential. Um, he throws strikes, uh, has plus curveball and changeup. So, well, above average curveball and changeup. So he's a guy to really watch in the system. Uh, going to be a slow riser because he does need to bulk up, because he does need to work on his mechanics. So he's not someone who's going to speed through the system, but he's someone who offers great value at the area they drafted him. And that's why they ended up putting so much money towards him. In the 17th round, Cal State Long Beach left-handed pitcher Clayton Andrews. Uh, so Clayton Andrews? probably is organizational depth and that's because he doesn't look like any pitcher i think who's ever made it he's five foot six <laughs> that's that big um if he does have a major league future at that height you tend to guess bullpen guy um he can throw pretty well he had a lot of success in college uh was a reliever to start his career uh you know had an era of 91 0.91 and he struck out 69 and just under 40 innings um so he's able to find a lot of success uh but i mean he's finding success against guys who really aren't competing at like a d1 level or that higher collegiate level um i think he was just an e a guy they knew they were going to be able to sign and i mean he did get a bigger bonus but i think more or less he's going to provide organizational depth unless he can sprout up four inches because really scouts don't like pitchers who are five foot ten yeah. so to be five foot six 
you're looking at a really tiny guy. Well, how per- I won't say never because weirder things have happened in baseball. Um, so, I mean, and that's part of the fun of baseball is you can really break through those barriers, but re- the cards are stacked against them right now. Well, to put that in perspective, Zach Davies is generally considered a small pitcher. Zach Davies is six foot. So Zach Davies, yep. who is considered a small pitcher, is six inches taller than this kid. So uh, I, I think that explains just how much of a, a challenge he'll have in front of him. Exactly. And, I mean, you already get relegated to the idea that you're a bullpen pitcher from the get-go, even though Clayton Andrews has had plenty of success in the uh, in the rotation. Uh, he's a lefty, which is always valuable. He throws in the mid or low 90s. Um, and he's been able to actually do well. I think that's why they took the risk on him because he does have a track history of success. Um, I'm still surprised he got 75,000 of the 125,000 they're able to give him. Uh, but I really think he's expected to be that guy to go out, probably close out games in the lower halves of the minors and be an organizational depth guy. Number 18 round pick, uh, left-hander out of Washington State. Really had a nice year this past year, Scotty Sonich. Yeah, he threw a no-hitter against Oregon. So, you know, he threw, uh, you know, a no-hitter against the team that would go on to be the World Series, the College World Series champions. Is that right? Or is Oregon State different than Oregon? They're different. So Oregon State won the title. Oregon did not have as good of a year this year. All right, so you go on to learn something new in the middle of a podcast, and that's fine. You know, we're here for learning. (laughs) Beavers versus Ducks, uh, Corvallis versus Eugene. All right. There's your there's your Oregon uh, uh, sidebar because people are really going to care about this. I broadcast Green Bay women's basketball, and they went to the NCAA tournament this year, and they played their game against Minnesota that they lost, which still sticks with me. Uh, They played that in Eugene, which is home of the Oregon Ducks. So there you go. All right. Well, now I know. You know, you get a little geography lesson. You get a little school lesson. College is not my forte. I'm more of a Midwest college mindset person. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, a no-hitter is a no-hitter regardless. And it only took him 95 pitches to complete, which I believe qualifies as a Maddox. So, you know, that's a very impressive feat to have. However, again, seems like an organizational depth guy. He's a lefty. Uh, Max is at 92 with the fastball. Decent change up and an okay breaking ball. Um, one of those guys who you kind of hope overperforms what your expectations are of him. Uh, probably tops out at like a triple A just because of tr- uh, pitchability. He does know what he's doing out on the mound, but he's a four-year senior and you need to put bodies out in the minor league field. And that's likely what ends up working out for Scotty Sunich. 20th round pick, Joey Matilovich, a right-hander from Cal. Uh, Joey Matilovich. Um, so this is one I didn't do my homework. Okay, on. if you don't have anything on him, that's fine. Yep. All right. So tw- tw- we're just gonna go move forward. Twenty uh, fourth right. round. Wait. I love this. I hope you have something on him. But if you don't, that's fine. Oh, yeah. Homeschool kid out of uh, Horatio. I believe it's Arkansas. Right? Is am I correct there? Or is it? Uh, yeah. Yes, I think so. We're this kid was the 725th pick of the draft. We don't have all the information. Wade Beasley, a homeschool kid. He's a pitcher. Yes, Horatio. Okay. 
Okay. Uh, really, really like Wade Beasley. Uh, maxed out at 98 with his fastball at points this season while being scouted. Um, has sat in the lower 90s during most scouting opportunities. Six foot two, 200 pounds, already a big guy. Um, his fastball has good sync to it, and he has a really good curveball along with a decent changeup. I never thought he'd be able to. I never thought the Brewers were going to sign him. I thought this was a courtesy pick. So I'm very excited about this opportunity. Uh, Lots wrong with the mechanics, lots to work on in terms of control. But he was a kid who just wanted to play baseball and, you know, didn't pursue college. So he got or he started his pro career. So I think that ends up being the Brewers gain, a guy I'm very excited about. Uh, The next kid, another high school kid out of uh, Lakewood Ranch High School in Florida, which I I feel like that's a, a somewhat well-known high school program. Maybe not. Uh, Pablo Garabitos, he is a uh, outfielder and also a pitcher. Do you know uh, which one they're focusing on with him? Uh, uh, is it... They've been playing him as an outfielder okay. so far. I would have guessed uh, pitcher. Yeah, which he actually was pretty good as a pitcher. As a senior, won 10-1, uh, had an ERA of .55 uh, and a 6.2 to 1 strikeout-to-walk ratio. Uh, doesn't have elite velocity, but, I mean, he definitely is projectable where you expected that to grow. I don't know if they're going to let him have an opportunity to pitch some as well as do the outfield. Two-way players are becoming the trend in baseball, um, so he definitely might get that at some point. But so far, he's playing the outfield, where he also projects to be a pretty good out or athlete. Uh, I mean, he's just an athletic person, so you want to take advantage of that in any way possible. Uh, he'll be a corner outfielder, might keep the speed to play center field, but he's like, ideally you don't want him there. Uh, makes good contact, uh, a little bit of pull power, not that much. Could be a 20 home run hitter if he really maximizes that. Uh, otherwise he's a gap to gap kind of speed guy. Um, not elite speed, but good speed. Uh, a really nice signing, I think, and uh, he's someone who at six foot one, one seventy five, could be one of those guys who all of a sudden explodes and becomes a substantially bigger contributor. Um, and if he doesn't work out in the outfield, you can always move him over to the mound and see what happens. We've seen the Brewers be more willing to go that way as of late with players like Nick Ramirez. 27th round pick, 815th overall, a kid from uh, Iowa. He played uh, for the Hawkeyes, which has kind of turned into a nice baseball program. They they got into the NCAA tournament last year. They had a little bit of a step back uh, this past year, but it's uh, Brady Shanuel. He is a a pitcher. Uh, Guys like this who kind of come from college programs that are not known for uh, being great but have kind of been on an uptick recently, I'm always interested in, in, in guys from programs like that. Yeah, um, and he's already found success or had some successful outings so far in his pro career. Already started pitching out of Helena. Um, he's a bin-90s guy, sits around 93, um, struggles mightily with command uh had 43 walks and just over 60 or in just over 53 innings uh but he has good strikeout um he has the size and the strength he would like from a pitcher could be more of an org depth guy but he's also someone who actually can provide late uh, value there um and he's Really just needs to work on those mechanics and get more consistent and allow less walks. I think he has gotten a couple starting opportunities in Helena, uh, but they've mainly been using him in relief. 
uh, in the five games that he's pitched so far. So, oh no, no starts. So there you go. Um, yeah, I, I like him. I think it's a good opportunity. He did get blown up in college, but if the Brewers saw something they think they can change and turn him into a successful pitcher, go for it. It's late in the draft. Might as well. We uh, we talked so much in our previous conversation and, and just overall about uh, the Brewers. They they canvassed the, uh, the state of Hawaii like no other organization. 28th round, 845th pick, catcher from Hawaii, Kakai Rios, Kakai, Kakai, I'm, I'm not sure how to say his first name. I assume it's Kakai. Kakai Rios, uh, another Hawaii kid for uh, for this team. Yeah, uh, per, he's an offensive first catcher uh, with – he actually is already pretty good defensively, but his arm's pretty weak. So that's something scouts expect teams to exploit. Uh, there's some mechanical things you can adjust in, like, how quickly he gets the ball out. But, I mean, it's really hard to get a guy to build up the velocity in their throwing arm, especially when they're uh, collegiate or as old as they are. Um, he's a collegiate junior. So he's kind of, in terms of tools such as throwing, the player he is. Um, so there's minimal likelihood that he'll stick behind the plate, but he does have a very good bat. Um, but there's nothing that's, like, exceptional about him. So, again, it's one of those guys where I think this is a gamble between you hope he turns into something that can be valuable in the future, but if not, it's okay because you need bodies to catch at every level, and you don't have a Feliciano, Peyton Henry, Jacob Nottingham at every level, but you still need catchers, and you need more than one of them. So you saw the Brewers go and get a couple catchers in this draft. 34th round, so uh, nobody from around 29 through 33 signing. A bunch of high school kids in there. They'll go play college ball. 34th round, left-handed pitcher from Miami. I, I love this guy's name, Michael Media Villa, and uh, he's a left-handed pitcher. Yep, um, really nothing more than an org depth chart here, or guy here. Low 80s or high 80s fastball, good changeup. Uh, could be one of those guys. I mean, like I said. Something with draft picks is there's always a chance. So if I say that there's he's org depth, that doesn't mean he can't perform more. But this is really one of those players who you expect to not do much more than what he then provide value for the organization in the minor league levels. Already pitched four games in the Arizona League. Uh, and hasn't allowed a run, but in generally in the Arizona League, you're dominating high schoolers, and when you're as good of a just mindset pitcher as he is with a, a change-up, which is very hard for high schoolers to hit, you're going to dominate them. Uh, and he's still not getting too many strikeouts, um, only six uh, per nine or so. So four strikeouts in his five and two-thirds. Um, yeah, really just think he's going to be a lower-level guy, um, and not much more than that. Hey, look, there's there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, these guys are being given a, there's there's all these levels of professional baseball for a reason. And even if you don't make it, uh, you have the opportunity to go play independent baseball. Just because a guy doesn't make it to the major league, such a small percentage of guys even make it there. Guys can still have, have a little bit of a career, try to chase a dream, all that sort of stuff. There's nothing wrong with guys being, you know, the quote unquote organizational guy to uh, to go play maybe a couple, two, three years, and a few of those guys do make it and they stick with it and they're able to out perform expectations so I, I i just want to follow up with what you're saying if you call a guy an organizational guy or the, that being the expectation i don't think that's a, a derogatory term no um and i know some people just like think like 
you know, like, oh, I looked up a little bit and I like this guy. And, you know, like your guys, there's always the opportunity to outperform. Look at Nador. If he made it to the major leagues, he was an undrafted free agent. That's possibly the most uncommon way to make it to the leagues. Um, so there's definitely that room for opportunity, but there's something to be said for anyone playing pro ball. Like you said, it's a very short list uh, in terms of the people who play it versus the people who exist in the world. So you're a, an elite group already. Um, and just because you don't likely don't have a future in the majors, playing pro ball is still something to be incredibly proud of. And, and the other, th- again, a lot of these guys probably may not even see the light pass single A ball, but a lot of those guys who kind of that next level of minor league guy after the big league guys, guys who make a career playing AAA baseball, you're a six year free agent, you go play AAA. Some of those AAA contracts are, you know, okay money that you can make an okay living. Now, we're not so much about what these guys are talking about. About right now, uh, where you know they're, they haven't hit free agency, but for the guys who can stick around and maybe push their way to AAA and continue to get some of those, you know, free agent six-year contracts, you make okay money doing that. Well, I think the perfect example of what you're talking about is like a Tim Dillard. Yeah, um, Dillard, I think, is making six-figure contracts. He's a free agent. He's not making elite money. He was in the majors and made decent money while he was doing that for a little bit. But really, he's been in an organizational guy who's been reliable at AAA and uh, is nearing the end of his career, but has been able to make a good career out of being that AAA pitcher and reliever who can help the guys. And I think you end up being kind of an informal coach and teams really like that. And you play a role that way. And that's the other thing, speaking of coaching, is some of these guys, especially someone who can like just straight pitch and knows how to pitch, you end up making a career as coaching later down the road. All right, two more guys to get to uh, before we call it a day on uh, the plus 11 rounders who uh, who signed. Uh, number 37, this is a Juco kid, so this is interesting. I assume he would have had some opportunities at a four-year school uh, if he's being drafted, but uh, elects not to continue his collegiate baseball career and instead signs as a 37th round pick, picked uh, 1,115th overall. Uh, Franklin Hernandez, he's a right-handed pitcher, to me, it's notable that it's a JUCO guy being, you know, kind of not exactly the same as what I said earlier about high school kids being picked late, but some some version of that. Here's a guy who could have continued his collegiate career and steady signs uh, out of a junior college. And you look at the JUNCO and you assume he's pretty young, but he's actually already 23. Okay. Um, so it's kind of like drafting an indie guy. But I actually really, really, really like Franklin Hernandez, and the reason is because of the hot term. For the era right now, spin rate. Um, he And I'm taking this from uh, BrewerFan.net, put together a great resource on the draftees, and they talk about his 2,400-plus spin rate on his 96-mile-per-hour fastball um, and his 2,650 spin rate um, on the curveball. So that's the amount of rotations you have given in a given period. And they found the more rotations, the more break, the more quote-unquote nasty factor you have to that pitch so that he has those two working up that way um he's six foot 175 obviously at his age not getting any bigger um but he could be with those types of numbers on his pitches could be a very good reliever in the future 
Uh, last guy, and he's a high school kid drafted in the 39th round, 1,175th overall. Catcher from uh, Blue Springs, Missouri, which that's in the Kansas City area. That's right on the Missouri-Kansas uh, border, but Blue Springs is over on the Missouri side. Uh, Blue Springs high school catcher Caleb Marquez. How in the world do they get a high school kid to sign who they draft in the 39th round? I don't know. I was shocked, especially because he's a two-way athlete. Uh, he is a tight end. Um, kind of a bigger guy. He's six foot three, two forty for a high school kid. That's big. Um, so I was really surprised. I thought uh, being a two sport guy, he'd definitely want to go to college and kind of see what his options were ahead of him. Um, and he's athletic, but incredibly, incredibly raw. Um, but a good value. I mean, you find those two way players once you get them to focus on one sport and they have that level of athleticism. If you can really work and get them to focus in and hone those uh, skill sets they aren't really focusing in on you find out you can get some polish and end up with something good so based on the size um i mean you'd hope for some power and to get a pretty strong catcher um i haven't seen too much on his catching ability i just know he's very very raw so it's one of the more exciting signings considering you're getting a high school guy at 39th obviously just wanted to go play pro sports so good for him Anybody who did not sign other than Davis Daniel that you were disappointed that they weren't able disappointed and or surprised um, disappointed uh, surprised no not really because I always like hold back my expectations for that um, Elijah Cabell or Cable uh, who was one of the top 200 prospects by MLB.com was someone I kind of hoped would sign. And then you found out he decommitted from LSU. So you got a lot of excitement. You almost stole two players from LSU in one draft, but then you find out he commits to FSU instead. So you end up losing him to that commitment. Um, He's probably a guy who, if he had signability, would have gone a lot higher anyways because he does have a nice power bat um, and can really benefit from the refinement that college gives him. So not surprised, but also had some hope. Um, I know a couple of the other kids ended up or one to sign, but weren't able to uh, based on the money they had to a lot in other contracts. Um, so I was kind of in discussions with a lot of those kids and ended up not being too surprised. Uh, like Peyton Zabel, I know is one who uh, was signable, but they never met like, or they couldn't meet his contractual expectations. So he goes off to college. Hopefully kid ends up being like a top five or a, you know, a first round or at least a top five round pick. Um, and that works out well for him. Um, the one that was confusing was Joe Baran or Baron. Uh, not really sure how to pronounce that. But he had initially been listed as a signing. There was a paper that announced that he signed. His uh, Twitter profile said that he signed. And then something comes out. He hadn't signed. He never came to an agreement. Um, Is going back to school. So that was just weird. Um, And I'm not quite sure what happened with that. Uh, Left-hand pitcher, um, based on everything that came out, like the first few days after the draft, he was going to sign. And then things must have fallen apart. Generally, with something like that, you're expecting medical. So I'm guessing they saw something in his medical report that they didn't like. Um, He still wanted the money that they initially agreed on. And that just doesn't work out. Well, he's, so. he's at Lackawanna College, which I believe Scranton, Pennsylvania, is in Lackawanna County, if I know my office details. So maybe he just got like an internship at Dunder Mifflin and he wanted to go there. 
I mean, probably the best career choice. I hear they uh, work out very well, and there's no awkward jokes, and it doesn't end up just being getting coffee. Um, and they get your name correct the entire time. I'm trying to remember how the interns in the one episode where they have interns actually were treated. <laughs> so I remember yeah. the end of the episode. They uh, one said they look like Alan Thick. One oh, I can't remember the three. I'm uh, I'm I'm failing here. I am a. I've, I just watched that show over and over and over. It's oh, like no TV has There's happened three since shows then. that I just watch on repeat. It's 30 Rock, Parks and Rec, and The Office. And basically, I never let anything new into my life. I ended up being a closed-minded individual in terms of TV content I take in. But yeah, I watched The Office probably a thousand times. This is the longest we've talked about The Office on this podcast, and that's a failure by me. So we need to work that in more often. <laughs> You know, I'm going to make notes for the next time and make sure we get those in. All right. Sounds good. Uh, Brad, What just, uh, you, my goodness, you've got so much going on. And uh, you, uh, you've got the minor league stuff that you follow on an every single night basis. Uh, you were on top of these signings as they uh, they moved on. You ride over at Brew Crew Ball. Uh, for po- folks who want to kind of consume the content that you are putting out there, what's the best way to do it? Of course, following me on Brew Crew Blue at Twitter at Brew Crew Blue, which I get is confusing because I write for Brew Crew Ball. Um, all my content's going to come out of there. So you're going to get the daily minor league recaps. You're going from both Brew Crew Ball and the ones I tweet out nightly. Uh, you're going to get some of the extended looks that I give minors and anything that I really write for the block, you'll see there. Otherwise, you can always get stuff or my stuff and the other great content from all the. I mean, we really have an amazing staff of writers at Brew Crew Ball. So I highly suggest following that Twitter account to get the articles sent out to you or just following the webpage, brewcrewball.com. You know, I'm blessed to write with a couple of very talented guys. Um, And as in terms of getting exposed to some of the community outside of our blog, if you follow us on Twitter, we're always sharing the wealth. We want to get you connected to the best brewer resources and some of that. Uh, You can watch for me later this week. I'm going to take a look into uh, Jesus Aguilar's MVP season. Um, and of course, we'll have uh, some more minor league recap stuff every now and then. I do a mechanical analysis of some of the hitters. We did one earlier in the year on Corey Ray. Um, there is some mechanical analysis from our editor Kyle on pitching. So you get a bunch of great content, especially if you're interested in minor league stuff. All right, this is going to be really hard for you. What I'm about to do, I'm going to ask you yes or no questions. Yes or no. Well, we'll get into stuff deeper at another time, but I just want to know where you stand on a couple of things. Would, would you include Keston Hira or, not both, would you include Keston Hira or Corbin Burns in a trade for Manny Machado? No. Would you include Keston Hira and Corbin Burns in a trade for Noah Syndergaard? Yes. Okay. That was easy, wasn't it? No. <laughs> Brad, always... Am I to say more yet? <laughs> In the future, we'll see what happens. Brad, it's always good to talk to you. Thanks so much for taking some time. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, always love to. Brad Ford joining us, a, uh, an extended look at some of these uh, later round draft picks and appreciate all his uh, expertise on that. That's going to do it for uh, this week's program. Again, uh, the Brewers have... Uh, tough week coming up. Very tough week. Three games in Miami, and then they're going to uh, play, uh, what is it? It's going to be uh, five games in four days at Pittsburgh uh, leading into the All-Star break when we are talking next week. 
it's going to be the All-Star Break edition because we'll be talking after that game in Pittsburgh. So they've got to get through these next uh, eight games. So three games in uh, Miami and then uh, four games, uh, excuse me, five games in Pittsburgh. You'll be able to hear all those games on uh, WTMJ and across the Brewers Radio Network. Again, uh, thank you to my uh, guest tonight, uh, Nicholas Zettel from BP Milwaukee, Brad Ford from Brew Crew Ball, and we'll talk to you again next week for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ. Like a fruit-flavored one. <laughs> I'm sorry. The way you said that was hilarious. You're good. Oh.